Sorry, I'll, I'll be with the rest of you in a moment. You got the picture? Okay, okay. <laughs> Welcome to uh, First Methodist Mansfield. My name is David. I serve as a senior pastor. Seriously, I'm the senior pastor. Uh, last week, uh, we started uh, with the idea that we wanted it to be very obvious that we love Christmas. And so, uh, hopefully today it is. Uh, because if you are brand new, I want you to know this is not normal, okay? And by not normal, I mean not ever. So. Merry Christmas to you. This is, this is uh, your gift. Sorry, this is, this is all I got. Last night, I, I was putting this on, and uh, I asked my wife, I said, what color belt do you wear with this suit? And she just looked at me, and she said, it doesn't matter. So I just put on a brown one. But uh, I will say, last week, the most encouraging thing that I heard uh, was my 13-year-old my daughter walked in uh, after Saturday Night Worship. She works with the kids. She walked in, and I had the coat on, and she said, Dad, did you wear that in church? That is so embarrassing. <laughs> so now I love this suit. I'll be wearing it, uh, I'll be wearing it all the time. Uh, we do love Christmas. One of the things that we love about Christmas is the music of Christmas. Will you join me in uh, giving thanks again to the Ubalati Choir, the orchestra, the our choir, the Morton family. Beautiful. I mentioned at 815, one of my favorite, favorite Christmas hymns is the first Noel. We never sing the first Noel. So beautiful, beautiful to hear that. We also love Christmas Eve. That's coming up in just a few weeks. We have lots of opportunities to uh, experience Christmas Eve. If you were watching the video, we have so many, the font was like three points, you know, that, that big. So I want to tell you about the opportunities that we have. Uh, Christmas Eve is also on a Sunday this year, so it's a sort of an odd year for us. But we've tried to make it as simple as possible. As I walk through this, I want you to think about two things. I want you to think about which service fits you, fits your schedule, your family, your needs, but also think about being aware of all the opportunities that we have uh, as you prayerfully consider who you might invite to be a part of Christmas Eve candlelight worship. Uh, so 2 and 4 o'clock on both the 23rd and the 24th, if you want to be a part of family worship, that's worship led by our FX Kids uh, worship team, an uh, opportunity for kids to participate on both both days, 2 and 4 o'clock, those are the opportunities uh, for family Christmas. If you want to be a part of a service uh, led by our Cornerstone Contemporary Team, that's 6 o'clock, either day, 23rd or 24th. If you want what you just experienced, which is, uh, well, almost everyone, the orchestra, the choir, bells, the whole nine yards when it comes to traditional worship, that's 8 p.m., either night, 23rd or the, or the 24th, and then on the 24th, we have a 10 p.m. service, which will uh, feature traditional hymns and bells, and then 11.30, uh, candlelight uh, and communion. We'll, we'll finish with communion. It's a 30-minute service. We wrap up uh, as we welcome Christmas Day. So again, I want you to think about what fits your needs, uh, the needs of your family, but also think about sharing those opportunities uh, with others. And on Sunday, the 24th, know that also at 11 a.m., uh, we'll have a Sunday morning service for those who wait wake up on Sunday and just have no idea what to do. We'll have worship here at 11, and then again, the additional opportunities that we have uh, on, on Christmas Eve uh, to be a part of one of the candlelight services. Uh, so I want you to be a part of that. Again, think about who you might invite to be a part of Christmas. We started last week by looking uh, at uh, one of the first characters that we meet in Luke's telling of the Christmas story. We talked about Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And in Zechariah's life, uh, we, we looked at the reminder that God works in the lives of ordinary people. He shows up in unexpected expected places. And, uh, and, and angels sometimes share with us the good news that God has heard 
long-forgotten prayers that we have prayed. Uh, and so we talked about that rather than entering this season with anticipation of all that will happen at the end of it, we want to live present and available and open to all the holy and sacred moments that we find throughout these weeks leading up to Christmas. Today, uh, we're looking in Matthew's gospel. I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, if you did not bring your Bible with you, you can find Matthew 1 on page 1500 in the blue Bibles that we have available for you here in our worship space. And we're going to be looking today at Joseph, uh, one of the first characters we meet in Matthew's telling of the Christmas story. Uh, I want to first point out that while almost everyone knows who Joseph is in the story, we know the role uh, that he has, that he's engaged to Mary, he, he, he will become the earthly father of Jesus. Outside of that, we don't know a lot about Joseph. In fact, he's only mentioned by name in 16 verses of the Bible. Uh, it, it, we don't know a lot about who he was and what his life was about. Later on in the story, when uh, during Jesus' public ministry, when Mary reappears, his mother, Joseph, isn't there. Uh, which leads many to assume uh, that sometime prior to the beginning of pub, uh, Jesus' public ministry, Joseph had passed away. Uh, and, and so we can think about this, that uh, we know that Jesus was an apprentice to his father uh, in the work that he did. And, uh, and again, he doesn't show up later in the story. So we can imagine that perhaps in his late teenage years or in his 20s, uh, that was another thing that Jesus went through over the course of his life. He went through grieving the loss of, of his dad. It was Dad Joseph. Uh, we know that Joseph was a carpenter or a builder is, is how it's translated in, in some of the texts. There's two Greek words that are translated in that way. I want to show those to you. The first one will look somewhat familiar to you. It's where we get our English word architect. That would have been a master builder, someone who uh, had uh, a little bit more means, was, was uh, in the, the home building business. A tecton was more of a simple builder, someone who constructed furnishings for a home or the tools that you would use uh, in working the fields. That's what Joseph was. He was a simple, he was a simple builder. Uh, he was a man of meager means. He, he was not uh, someone who had a great list of accomplishments. He, he wasn't the most educated, uh, the, the person with the highest potential in his community. And, and yet this is, the, this is the individual, this is the man that God leads to become again the father, the father of Jesus. Uh, perhaps uh, as a way of expressing the humility of Joseph's life. The other thing that we notice is that of the 16 verses in which Joseph is mentioned, he never speaks. We never hear from Joseph. We, we, we don't uh, we, we do from Mary. You remember in Luke chapter 1, Mary's uh, beautiful song, the celebration, uh, Mary's in, in interaction with the angel, but, but we don't hear anything from Joseph. All we have is an expression of how he responded to what happens here at the very beginning of the story. So look with me beginning in verse 18 as, as, as Matthew tells us about Joseph and how he responds uh, in this story. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, uh, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So again, we don't hear from Joseph, but we, we do see what he did in response, not only to the news that Mary shares, but also in response to this dream. Joseph follows the command of the angel, and he takes Mary home as his wife. But let's go back a little bit in the story, because what Matthew tells us is that these two individuals were pledged to one another, and what that means is they were engaged. Okay, so if you put that in the modern context, Joseph had bought a ring. He'd planned a really sweet proposal. She'd said yes. They'd shared the video on Facebook. The hashtag had now been revealed. Wedding plans were in process. Perhaps she'd already said yes to the dress. We don't know. But that's kind of where they are in, in the story. That's how we would think about it in the modern context, but in the ancient world, engagements were a little bit different. A few things that may be helpful for you in understanding where they were in this process. I want to show you a couple of Hebrew words and explain to you what these, what these mean. The first one there is, uh, uh, is a word that describes the actual legal agreement uh, that was signed between two families that made an engagement official. Uh, it was an agreement, again, between the two families. It was a, it was a legal document that, that said we are pledged to one another and we are moving towards our wedding day. Now, before that could be finalized, a couple of things had to occur. The first is uh, that next word there represents the gift that was given from the groom's family to the bride's family. Uh, you might think of it like a dowry, if you will, but the, the whole idea was this was to offset the economic exchange, uh, a, a woman who served in this household to uh, a wife who served in this household. That was part of it, but the other aspect in, in the Jewish practice was part of that gift was set aside for the bride. And it was set aside, you might think of this as like a first century world life insurance policy. It was set aside for the bride in the instance that her husband might die and she would be widowed and not have someone to care for her. The last thing you see listed there is a gift that the groom actually gave to the bride. It was added to that portion that was set aside for her from the family's gift. And again, this was a way in which in this communal society, they provided long-term security for, for both families as well as uh, the instance of, of a bride whose, whose husband might die early and, and she would be widowed. So this has already happened. They're, they're already heading to their wedding day. The, the resources have been exchanged. The agreement has been made. And there's only a few ways that you can mess this up. One of them would be if the intended bride shows up pregnant, which is what happens. Now notice what's implied here. When Mary comes to Joseph and, and shares with him that she was pregnant, but that, that thing that you, everyone's been telling us you, you have to do in order to get pregnant, I didn't do that. Joseph doesn't believe her. And that shouldn't surprise us, okay? That's a very reasonable response to what Mary has just shared with him. He, he doesn't believe her. So look at verse 19 and, and look at in this one verse the way in which Matthew gives us this window into the life and heart of Joseph. It says that Joseph was faithful to the law. And so as a, as a Jewish man who was faithful to law, here's what Joseph was supposed to do next. 
It was his responsibility to now break off the engagement. And the way in which you broke off the engagement, uh, this, again, this was the, uh, the ending of, of a legal agreement. All legal agreements happened at the city gate. You went there. It was a public audience. And, and Joseph also had the responsibility of expressing to the community why he was ending the agreement. And so you can imagine what, what that would have meant for Mary, the disgrace that she would have uh, received in that as Joseph uh, would have had to share with the community that he was ending this relationship because of Mary's act of adultery. Uh, not only that, not only the disgrace that Mary would have received, remember those two gifts that were given, the gift to the family and the gift to Mary, those would have been returned. Mary would have gone back to her parents' household. She would never have been uh, engaged again. Uh, she would continue serving uh, in her parents' household after her parents passed away. She would be all on her own, without resources, without children, uh, without any other family to take care of her. And though Joseph was faithful to the law, Joseph just couldn't imagine doing what the law required. Now, remember what's just happened. Remember how Joseph uh, has, has understood what has just occurred. As far as Joseph is concerned, Mary has thrown away everything. She's, she's tossed aside the hopes and dreams they had for their life. She's betrayed him in a way that most of us can never imagine. There's a, there's a hurt and a pain that he's experienced that he'd probably never felt before. There was an anger, perhaps, that we can all imagine at what has transpired. And yet Joseph cannot imagine having to put Mary through what was supposed to come next. And so Joseph decides instead, what the text tells us is to divorce her quietly. Now, what would happen in that instance? Well, again, Joseph would be the one who would end the agreement. And in ending the agreement, rather than placing all the blame on Mary, he would simply take responsibility and say, well, I had a change of heart and I had a change of mind. And of course, months later, as Mary's walking through the village and everyone could see that she was with child, the perspective on what had occurred would begin to change. Everyone would assume that it was Joseph's child and that he had simply chosen to abandon her. And so the dishonor, the disgrace, the shame of that, it wouldn't fall on Mary. It would fall on Joseph. And though he was faithful to the law, he couldn't imagine, he couldn't imagine subjecting Mary to that disgrace. And so Joseph's plan was to go a different direction. And as a result of that, what would have happened in choosing that course of action, Joseph was willing to subject himself to the unwarranted scorn and shame of his community because he didn't want it to happen to Mary. Again, we, we, don't, we don't hear him speak, but it's a window into who Joseph was, the love that he had for Mary, but also what we can imagine to be the love that he had for Jesus and the love that he expressed to him throughout his life. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story about a father, a father who has two sons. One son, the rebellious younger one, wants nothing to do with his dad anymore, doesn't want to stay in his father's household. He demands that he receive his inheritance. He wants to go his own way. 
And the father grants his request. As Jesus tells the story, he goes to a distant country. He squanders his wealth and while living, he's out of money, no resources. He's looking for a job. The only one he can land is caring for pigs in a master's household. And while he's there, he's feeding the pigs. What Jesus says is he's looking at the food that he's giving to the pigs and he finds himself jealous as he thinks about how hungry he is food that he doesn't have for himself. And at that moment, Jesus says, he comes to his senses and he thinks, even the, even the servants in my father's household are cared for. And so he makes the decision to go home. Along the way, he practices his speech, everything he's going to share with his dad. He's, he's just trying to, again, uh, win favor with him so he can, you know, find a job with dad. But what Jesus says is while he's still a long way off, his father sees him, he leaps off the porch, he runs and he embraces his, his son and he welcomes him home. He yells back, kill the fatted calf, start the party, this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. The party's happening. And dad's looking around and he sees everyone there except his older son. And so he goes and he finds him. An older son is off pouting because dad has welcomed home his rebellious brother. He doesn't understand it. Dad, I've never left you. I've been here all along. And yet you receive back this son who has disgraced you and disgraced our family. And the father says to the son, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. The love that I have for him is the same love that I have for you. But your brother, he was, he was dead and he's alive again. Now the story's about God. You know that, right? It's the, the father in the story is God. It's, it's, a, it's a perspective on God. God who welcomes home the rebellious sinner, but God who also welcomes and loves the, the faithful one who's misunderstood the father's love all along. The father is God. But when you look at this little window into the heart and life of Joseph, you got to wonder how much of this story also reflected who he was as a father to Jesus. How much of that was expressed in the way that he loved him as a baby, the way in which he, he, he nurtured him as a young child, the way in which he carefully shared with him this craft, the work of his hands that was, that made, made the living that he had. It's a picture of a father who loves, who loves a son. The one who God the Father called to be a father to Jesus. And it makes sense, right? Like if your, if your kids were going somewhere and, and, and they were going off to a, a place to do something that was really hard, you would want by their side someone who loved them just as you did. And so what does God do? God provides for Jesus a father. A man like Joseph, a man who loved Mary enough to say, let the disgrace be mine. I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be yours. And when you think about Joseph in that way, here's what it makes me think about in in the season of Christmas. I think about all the parents who are raising kids in a culture that teaches them that Christmas is about giving your kids everything. I mean, have you noticed this? I don't know. I mean, are you paying attention? But that's, that's really what our culture says. It's about giving everything. It's about getting everything. It's about presence. It's about, it's about sharing. And there's an there's expression of generosity that is good, but there's a part of it that's so out of control, isn't it? 
We feel this pressure to give our kids everything. And when that perspective on Christmas is divorced from the original story, it's, it's easy to miss the most important thing. What is the most important thing that you give? It isn't something that you buy. It isn't something you can wrap up with a bow and put under a tree. It's something that you can make, but it takes your entire life to do it because it's you. You are. You are the most significant gift you will ever share with the people in your life. The love that you express is the, is the gift, the most significant gift that you will share, the life that you live. It's your heart. It's the content of your character. It's the trust that they place in the promises that you have made to them. It's the integrity by which you live out your days. The union between your word and your deed. It's the strength of your love. It's the resiliency of your commitment. These are the gifts that each generation treasures the most as they are shared one to another. Nothing is more important than that. And this is the gift that we share with one another each and every day. He was a simple man. He wasn't the most accomplished. He wasn't anyone that we would have taken notice of. And yet he is the one that God led to be a father to Jesus, to show him the heart of God, to show him what love is all about. And so this Christmas, while you're out shopping and doing all the things that you're doing to prepare for your celebration, don't forget who you are and that the perfect gift of Christmas, the most significant thing, isn't, isn't something that we buy. It's, it's the person. It's the person that you are. And it's the love that you share. And so may our lives, may your life, may, may our lives together, may it reflect the love, the grace, the humility, the compassion, those things that we most want to see embodied in others, may they be true in us because this is, this is the most important gift that we share. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for the witness of Joseph, for a husband and his love for Mary, for a father and his willingness to receive Jesus as his own son, for all the ways, Lord, in which your life and love were expressed through him. We pray, Lord, that those same things would be true of each and every one of us. Lord, would you protect us from losing a perspective of what the original story would communicate to us this day? Help us, Lord, in the celebration of Christmas, the, the reminder of your perfect gift for the world. May we be reminded, Lord, that we are a gift that you are giving to others. May it be one that would be a blessing. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.